Dave Freezer here, alongside Paddy Davitt, and we have been down at Colney this afternoon to have a chat with Daniel Farker, looking ahead to tomorrow's game at Sheffield United. Bit of a grudge match these days, isn't it? Yeah, so, uh, no, not anymore. It's all the sweetness of oh, life. Sorry, yeah. No. Love is in the air. <laughs> It wasn't love at first sight. More on that in a minute. Uh, do get your questions and comments in. We'll get through as many of them as we can in the next 30 minutes or so. Um, just to kick off, I did want to just flag up, see if I can get this in the camera correctly. Uh, there is a 16-page supplement in um, today's EDP and Evening News. There's a bit of Connor's work on the back. Loads of photos from the Tottenham game. Uh, nice souvenir for you. First time... Norwich have won a fifth round tie since 1992, of course. I'm sure you've heard by this point uh, with that penalty shootout victory. Mainly thanks to that man there, Mr. Krull, who uh, had a pretty decent night, didn't he? Um, just to kick off with, Pad, we haven't really had a chance on these sort of channels to get your reflections on that game, really. But um, a big night. I mean, the reaction to it has been great because of the 9,000 fans there and because of the rarity of the achievement. But I suppose there is an element of we don't want to get too carried away with it, isn't it? Yeah, it's funny, actually. I've just come back from Colney now and um, there seems to be one or two poking fun at Norwich fans for getting a bit um, animated, but I don't, I, as in fans of other clubs, but for brackets only getting to the quarterfinals. But when you've not been to the quarterfinals in 28 years and, and you do it in that epic manner, um, I don't really buy that at all. I think it was a fantastic night for the club. Anybody who was there, I've spoken to plenty of those 9,000 and, and they will, as Daniel said, that is a result that in a, a decade from now, people will say, I was at Tottenham and what a great night. And can you remember Adam Ida, how cool he was or, or Tim Krull or Ben Godfrey's goal line clearance? You know, there's the snapshots of memories from that one game that will live on. And as a result, it deserves to be savoured. And, um, and obviously now we're sat here today ahead of the Sheffield United game, can Daniel and those players harness all that positivity? We, we touched on that today with him at Colney and, and also the negative side of the physical and the emotional high. Can you get up again? And he wasn't really having any of that. He said it um, wouldn't be an issue physically. Well, they did this turnaround in the championship to, to great effect last season. And then emotionally, well, he's looking at it from a positive side of, of the feel-good factor. Can you ride that wave a little bit longer and hopefully it can translate into a good performance and result, more importantly, at Sheffield United. So, yeah, brilliant, brilliant occasion. We're privileged to be there for what we do for a living, but um, days like that remind you why you probably do the job and why you were lucky to do the job. And, uh, yeah, everything went to plan in the sense of the final outcome. Uh, and and I, when you have a, a night like that, you have to savour it. And I think anybody who was there, as I say, will, will have done that. And, uh and it's all about now moving forward and obviously beyond the league, it's Manchester United, as we know now, having won comfortably at Derby yesterday evening. So Manchester United, we don't quite know the dates yet. TV companies haven't quite got to that point, but uh, I think by common consent, it's going to be the Sunday or the Monday. Yeah, well, it's not going to take long, is it? Because, uh, you know, it's what, two weeks Saturday, potentially, as things stand. Um, yeah. So they need to get their act together. Um, Sheffield United needed extra time on the Tuesday night as well, didn't they, to get past Reading and 1-2-1. So, you know, they did have a have a draining midweek as well. But I saw it as, as just fun, really, as all the FA Cup games have been so far this year, particularly with those 9,000 there. Yeah. Um, that was such a great sight, as you say, a privilege to see. And they made a decent atmosphere as well. You know, there were lulls in the game, weren't there? Because it wasn't always the best quality. Um, but 
different to the Premier League in terms of intensity, isn't it? The, these FA Cup games, or, or, or I felt they are. That it, it, it's more sort of all-out attack, a bit of a basketball yeah. game. Not the same pressure that we know is going to be on that game at Bramall Lane tomorrow when Sheffield United take every game deadly seriously, don't they? They yeah. literally squeeze the life out of teams and they've got a fair bit of ability themselves. So, for me, it's just uh, one to be enjoyed. I've got a comment here which um, you can answer, Pad. Um, Liam WT, out of interest, do you guys know who was City's fifth penalty taker the other night? I can tell them who the fifth and the sixth was, to, to, as Daniel confirmed today. Uh, Josip Dermic, it probably wouldn't surprise too many. Uh, we certainly thought he would have been the man to step up had he needed to, but apparently Ben Godfrey would have been the sixth. Yeah. Uh, we know that because uh, he told Daniel, told a nice anecdote about Grant, Han- uh, Grant Hanley wanting to know where he was. And yeah, um, yeah. I think more to the point of, I don't really fancy this gaffer. And he's basically, Daniel reeled off who the fifth and the sixth would be. Quotes, if we get to seven, we probably are going to be going out. So uh, he hadn't got as far as seven, but... Uh, Definitely Josip Dermich to answer the question. Well, you were saying that. It just came into my mind, though. Uh, last summer, Nations League, Jordan yeah. Pickford saved from him in he the did. shootout, he didn't did. he? he did. So uh, maybe it was good it didn't get to Josip. Uh, he, <laughs> he, he was knackered. Yeah, he probably, he probably was, yeah. <laughs> but full of confidence from his 35-yard uh, in the top corner. Right. Um, hi, Harry. My little brother is uh, in and asks, do we know what the starting eleven is yet? Um, well, we don't. Um but uh, you can pretty much pick most of it, can't you? Because um, we'll take that as a nice segue, thanks, Harry, uh, to uh, get into the team news. Um, defensively, Christoph Zimmerman could be involved, but we, we know what the defence is going to be, don't we? Well, barring anything um, untoward, and there was no hint of that from Daniel today earlier, it'll be the same back four and Tim Krull. And why would you change it? I mean, he basically, in that wider debate about the physical and emotional exertions, he said, you know, Todd, sorry, Todd, uh, Max, Jamal, Ben, all very young men. And he, Grant Hanley isn't exactly the oldest uh, defender at the club. So a couple of days in the ice bath, they'll be fine. And obviously Tim Krull, uh, absolutely brimming with confidence. Why wouldn't he be? So, uh, yeah, don't expect any changes for the back five. Okay, following on from that now, I see Jez Arlo. What a win that was, gents. So what are your thoughts on the starting 11? Todd and Emmy must be absolutely shattered mentally more so than physically possibly and Daniel did sort of hint at that didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Emmy went off with cramp didn't he? Yeah I asked him just where he was in terms of you know his recovery and he, and he said yeah probably a reaction to not being in the starting lineup that often over the last three or four games shall we say um, but then playing two 90 minutes plus back to back clearly took its toll on the night had to come off with cramp um, and Daniel felt I think he actually his words were, he will have to make a late decision on Emmy uh, whether he can go again for a third game in very quick succession. Um, kind of got my sense was he probably won't. And, and if that is the case, then it might be Lucas Rupp, I think, on the right-hand side. But, uh, yeah, to, to broaden out the point, I mean, obviously, no Timmy Pugge didn't play at all, did he? Uh, Alex Day only came on for extra time. Um, Andre Duda didn't get a look in midweek. So, I think there are options to freshen it up. But, um you know, I think I think we could all probably sit down and, and work it out maybe within ten, nine or ten names, I think. No Hernandez, is there? So I guess if if Todd as well as Emmy were struggling, yeah. then I guess you're probably looking at Vrancic and Rupp as wide options either side of, of Duda really. Well you throw that Dave, but I mean uh Adam Eder maybe True. put his hat in the ring, yeah. um not a player you would associate with a wider left posting but uh, you know you look at I, I look at Manchester United anti Martial plays in that area Aubameyang cuts in from there and, and 
it was just an interesting answer Daniel gave at Colney today about that Daniel felt he could do that role because he obviously threw him on um, alongside Dermich in a, in a more wider, but with the ability to cut inside. And we all know that he is by trade a striker uh, and he managed to get himself in the box, didn't he? Have that header, he didn't quite get above it yeah. in extra time. But uh, And also defensively, he felt he, he actually helped Jamal uh, with Aurier, you know, who is a very adventurous attacking fullback. So maybe not from the start tomorrow, but again, you got the sense from Daniel that maybe he's seen enough from Adam either in that, little cameo that uh, with Omel Hernandez and available for the rest of the season pretty much we think yeah I think there might be a, another option if Todd's not uh, able to do it at any point yeah definitely in his thoughts he was he was good he worked hard he looked yeah, yeah. looked confident um, and he's quick and he's got a bit of skill as well hasn't he so he's also good as what I like about him and, and it gets overlooked is you look at him physically and his size and his power and his running which he has all of those but Techniques there as well. You know, he could take balls in tight spaces. He was plucking a few balls out of the air and then he can hold defenders off because of his physicality. Yeah, he's, he's the all-round package. And, um, you know, it's exciting to look at how he could develop moving forward because if he is not just an out-and-out striker, but he's got that added facet to his game that he can cut in from the left, then it opens up potential to get him into the side in other areas, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, reminded me as you were talking there. I think you know, not directly making that comparison, but Marcus Rashford is pretty decent out wide as well, isn't he? Although yeah. he is a striker, so maybe he's got a long way to go before he gets anywhere near that that caliber of player. The one thing I think we can be pretty certain of is is it is going to be Teddy and McLean second yeah. field. Um, Tribal and Branches didn't really cover themselves in glory, although Daniel did stick up for them a bit today, didn't he? Because it was um, was put to him that. It wasn't the best, or there was certainly a rusty performance from the two of them, and he sort of acknowledged that a bit, but stuck up for them, didn't he? Yeah, but in the context of he more or less admitted and, and and he caveated what he went on to say, but he said, "I'm not, I'm not trying to draw a parallel with." But then he said, uh, "A Perlo or, or those type of players um, who are very good in possession, and it, by definition, if you're in a front foot team who've got a lot of the ball and the possession, both Mario and Tom, in Daniel's view." Uh, are excellent players in that context. But unfortunately, what we had against Tottenham and what we've had too often, maybe when those are in the side, is Norwich don't have the ball. They're in back foot mode. And and in that context, Daniel openly admitted today, they're not the, the two you would pick above, certainly a Tete and McLean. So I think by definition, the way he's gone in the Premier League is he's one that added insurance in front of the back floor with those two guys. And then ahead of that, you're then asking a Cantwell, a Buendia, a Duda, to be the creative spark. And it's just unfortunate for maybe Mario and Tom that they find themselves betwixt and between a little bit at the minute, that they're not necessarily got the creative potential to play them further forward or certainly as those lads just mentioned. And what they definitely don't have is that ability that McLean and Teddy do, which is a bit more combative and covering the ground and, and sort of getting themselves the right side of the ball. Too often for me, I watch Tribal neat and tidy, but if the ball, if the play breaks and he's the wrong side, he's not getting back. Um, and unfortunately, you know, that's probably counting against him in the Premier League. I don't know if that's uh, as a result of his injuries over the years or, but ever since he's been here, really, he's never had pace, has he tried? No. And once he's caught the wrong side of the ball, like, it, I mean, Lucas Moura is fast, isn't he? He's Brazilian he's fast. Yeah. And he left him for dust, didn't he? So, I mean, Vrancic, we all know, is, is a talented player. Daniel actually said, you know, 
that he's capable of genius, didn't he? And there were a, a, a few nice balls in there, but McLean and Tetty are in their rhythm at the moment, aren't they? It's put it, it's put it in Farker context almost. And um, yeah, I'd be, um, I'd be very surprised if they weren't starting. Um, a couple of comments coming through about Tottenham, about what we were talking about um, at the uh, top of the video. Tony, Tony Bispham, I will always remember Wednesday night. It's a wonderful historic result. David McKenzie, momentum is a big thing in football. Uh, ben Trafford, Hanley wouldn't have wouldn't have done worse than Gedson did. Terrible penalty. Sorry, I'm with you. Yeah, Gedson Fernandez, that was a pretty awful penalty. And Krull didn't even do that much to put him off with that one, did he? Oh, when you watch him back on the replay, he's literally dived, and then it's almost like I've got to wait for this ball to arrive into my midriff. It was an absolute diabolical penalty, but probably by that stage. As we saw with Tim's exchange with Troy Parrott, um, I think Krull had decisively won the psychological battle there with Tottenham's yeah. penalty takers. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for that, uh, as long as you don't overstep the mark. But, um, I mean, there's been a bit of talk, isn't there, on sort of national channels, really, about him coming off his line a few times. But, um, you know, it happens in shootouts. I mean, have you ever seen a penalty retaken in a shootout? I don't recall it ever um, happening. Well, there was... But that's more of a VAR-related thing. I think the Women's World Cup, there was a game last summer, I think it was in Scotland, um, and that was ridiculous. There was multiple uh, retakes, right. but obviously that was through filtered through the, the VAR rollout. Oh, of course, yeah. And then after that, I think it got to the point after that, the actual um, rule makers then came out and said VAR wouldn't be used for that element of, of a penalty. Um, but as we know, anybody was at Car Road earlier in the season, that the Arsenal game, at Bamiyang, in fact, what it was used for was to rule that, Max Aarons had encroached, even though, as Daniel said at the time, you know, the upper half of his body is outside the box. But um, no, uh, you do see the odd retake, don't you? But nothing to that extent. But um, not, not in a shootout very often, though. Like no. retakes for penalties, yeah, maybe, yeah. but for shootouts, it's almost like um, that the yeah. player taking the penalty has got so much more of an advantage over the goalkeeper that the officials almost feel that they can't level it up. And to be fair, I think if you watch it back, the parrot one, his. Uh, back foot is still on the line isn't it yeah. so the front foot may have stepped off but he's still on his line yeah it may be a centimeter off yeah. the line or something but it's you know he's made the effort fernandez it's so slow that he's basically he's been able to take oh, two right. steps forward and, and land on it hasn't he but yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway uh Stuart cousins do we focus more on the league in or the next round of the cup well I would say that, thankfully, you can do both because the Cup game's going to be a weekend and then it's an international break. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the downside probably is, I think it's Everton will get pushed into midweek. So that, depending on where we are in terms of injuries or, or, or you know, the state of play in the league table, that might end up being a negative uh, rather than having them at Saturday 3 o'clock at Car Road. But no, I think, as Daniel said today, the positive uplift from what happened midweek for the fans, as much as the players and the staff, you've got to ride that wave because they they need they need that sort of injection of belief and confidence and momentum, as I said by one of the posters earlier. So, yeah, I don't think it's a, I don't, at this stage. No, it's not either or for me because you know ultimately, as they proved midweek, they were still able to get rest in the Pookie Duda, uh, one or two others, and uh, while they've still able to do that then I don't think Daniel will need to prioritise to the extent where I can't play X against Manchester United because but of course we're saying that but between now and um, potentially a quarter-final home side well a quarter-final home side against Man United if Norwich really have picked up in the league and are firmly in the mix then does he have a decision to make then in terms of his selection for United 
Well, I think then you would just keep the momentum going, wouldn't you? I suppose we can't judge that at this point. But for me, this is a massive game. I mean, how many games are there league-wise between now just and United? Just tomorrow and yeah. Southampton, unless they move the Everton game backwards, which would seem highly unlikely. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'd almost say that that's not going to happen. Um, so, for me, this is a massive game. First yeah. FA Cup quarterfinal in 28 years, and it's at home. I, I see this almost as big as a, as a derby game. I think Carrow Road will be absolutely bouncing for it. Tickets will be gold dust yeah, because... Yeah. Away, uh, the away team gets fifteen percent in um, the FA Cup, don't they? Yeah. So some of the season ticket holders, including my dad, I think, uh, is going to have to be moved from from their usual seats in the South Stand. So they then have to be uh, found a place elsewhere in the stadium as long as they want their seats, which obviously the majority will. Yeah. So tickets going on general sale, I would have thought, are going to be few and far between. Yeah. And the actual buzz for the game, I think people are going to be desperate for this one. All day long, all day long. I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to be flippant in any way, shape, or form, but we might get into it because both Daniel and Alex Tete have spoken about it in recent days. But, you know, you see what's happening in Italy with the coronavirus and the sporting authorities have closed the doors on all the Serie A games, the Six Nations games. I mean, postponed, you really don't hope that because that would be really, that really is the nightmare scenario. And, okay, we're talking about football and sport and, and the grand scheme of things. It's meaningless with what's going on with this um, potential global pandemic. But, you know, you're talking about tickets, but what if we reach a point where, you know, all games in England are played behind closed doors? Then God knows where we go with that. Yeah, let's hope we don't get to that stage. It is worrying at the moment. Um, at Tottenham on Wednesday, uh, we're very fortunate. It's a lovely press room, which actually operates as a restaurant during the week. You know, an incredible stadium all round. But they had the antibacterial um, hand wash and they were actually asking us to use it. So they were being hot on it. And uh, I, I, I'd already imposed my own handshake ban uh, when we met the Radio Norfolk boys when we got there, it's fist bumps all around, no yeah, handshakes. Exactly. So uh, in China, there's even this thing going on with foot tapping, yeah, isn't yeah, there? Yeah. But, um, um, but that might bring us mostly back to, to sort of Daniel Farker, who was asked about that today, because yeah. the Premier League have said from this week onwards, the ritual uh, of the players' handshake before the game has not going to take place at all. So Daniel was asked, where does that leave him with, you know, shaking the hand of Chris Wilder? Not a problem for Daniel. He said he, he would do that. He says, yes, you have to get the balance right listen to all the advice, listen to the specialists, but by the same token, he, he feels you don't want to panic either. So, Daniel will be shaking Chris Wilder's hand, hopefully before and after the game, as, well, certainly after the game as, as the victor. Um, and as Daniel says, you know, the Premier League said this, but what happens at the end of the game? What normally happens, players shake hands. So, what happens with goal celebrations, et al., you know? Mm. I'm not quite sure what that... Maybe an antibacterial no. uh, <laughs> wash, kind of. Maybe, that's what, maybe they're missing a trick. There needs to be someone at the end of the handshake line giving them all a little squirt of antibacterial oh. gel. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's just like PR then as well, isn't it? Don't forget to wash your hands, well, folks. Official Premier League yeah. antibacterial yeah. spray. Um, but yes, yeah, so let's hope things don't get to um, to those extents because that would be... Um, that well. Yeah, it could obviously be far more serious than football. So, um, an interesting situation. Vincent Manzi says, great performance on Wednesday. Uh, how much do you think fatigue will play a part on Saturday? I think we've sort of answered that already. Uh, Lisa Jack, I was impressed with Steepman's penalty. He seemed very confident. As I said to you at the time, he is German. He did say that, yeah. <laughs> I feared that he'd go the other way because he's not the best of seasons. But yeah. uh, as a collection, I mean, has there been, we'll never be able to know the answer, but whenever Norwich have had a penalty shooter, has there been a more accomplished set of penalties? Kenny McLean aside, um, 
under the, under the extreme pressure they were under. I've seen. I don't. You might sure a lot of these good people will have seen the, the Campwell clip that's I think doing around today that as he's walking to take his penalty, he's basically doing keepy uppies, which is uh, pretty phenomenal to be fair. Uh, he had that presence of mind, well, confidence firstly, but coolness uh, to you know pop the ball down and. Or in the ball as well. Basically, yeah, yeah, keep me up is as he walked towards the penalty spot. Yeah, so um, there was no Troy Parrott kind of discourse going on with uh, Michelle Foreman. If there was, I don't think it would have distracted him or either. I mean, Adam Edo, what a penalty that was as well. Um, and it was interesting. I think Daniel, and basically, I think he confirmed it today that I don't think he went around canvassing opinion who fancies taking the penalty. I think it was you're taking that one, you're taking that one, blah, 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 blah. Mm. And again, Adam Eda, in his mind, was one of the five best penalty takers. So. Yeah, because the quotes from Eda, which the club put out today, yeah. he said he read the list exactly. and saw. Yeah. So that was that's a real statement well, from Daniel, isn't well, it? But yeah. yeah, great penalty, Steepman, great penalty. He's one of those players who missed one of the many penalties last season, isn't course, he? So yeah. would have meant a lot to him. Kenny McLean, of course, when when we had all that last year, what was it missing oh, missing six or seven? Yeah. Daniel said that McLean was the best penalty taker, didn't he? Yeah. And he goes and misses again. But oh, yeah. never mind. They uh, they got through it. There's a, it's funny how that quite often seems to happen. I mean, I haven't got any stats to hand on it. But with shootouts, the team that scores first quite often go on to to lose, don't they? Well, because yeah. the momentum it is so easy for it to, to yeah. shift. But if Ida hadn't have scored yeah. his penalty, then um, would have been very much a, a different story. Uh, Tony Bispam, I agree, Lisa. What do you think about Emmy's performance? Emmy Buendia. Now... Thankfully, the presser wasn't too much about him again because it has been. There's been a lot, a lot of chat about Emmy, hasn't there, in recent weeks? To the point where I think Daniel would possibly be getting a bit weary of it. But we, there was a flashpoint in the second half, wasn't there? Which um, kind of hasn't got much coverage because of the um, end result of the night. But yeah. him and Ben Godfrey had a, a major falling out in the second half, didn't they? After Emmy lost the ball, stayed on his backside, threw his hands up in the air like he does. Godfrey bails him out, charges forward, Oliver Skip tackles him, yellow card, and at that lull of play, Godfrey then tears into him. Yeah. Grant Hanley, as captain, is needed to separate them. They, Wendy is still nibbling at Godfrey, isn't he? Most, most players would hold their hands up and go, sorry, mate, yeah, I lost the ball, I'll try not to do it again, but not Emmy. No, he, he argues back and needs his captain, the big burly Scotsman, who's like twice his size, to tell him to go away two or three times so that was a flashpoint which could have been much bigger in a defeat and overall it was again we saw good and bad didn't we yeah, we did we did i mean better than i thought actually when i saw the highlights package back because uh mainly that brilliant dancing feet maneuver when he's um he's wriggled out of about two or three players around him inside the tottenham box and a lovely strike you know which we keep imploring him to do more of Daniel certainly does as well, but you know, a rising strike, um, which was a good save from Vaughan actually. And there was mm. one or two, one or two breaks into the box as well. You know, again, something Daniel's questioned in this sort of ongoing week-to-week dissection of Emmy's game that he doesn't anticipate and make those third-man runs into the box. We saw a little bit of evidence of that. I think it was, uh, it was when Mario chipped one over and it sort of worked his position. And uh, I think he had a shot deflected over the top on just over the top of the bar. So. Good, but far too many losses of possession. I don't have the stats to hand, but I mean, you highlighted the most graphic example. But I think that probably, if you sat down with Ben Godfrey, was probably a result of not the first time he lost the ball that night. It was uh, multiple times. And, you know, when you sat on the turf imploring the officials for a, for a decision and it doesn't happen, I've, 
I'm pretty sure that that would have uh, less than endeared him to his teammates. So, yeah, said on the night it was probably one for the prosecution rather than the defence because uh, he wasn't, um, you know, he, he didn't really, which was a shame because the previous game against Leicester, he, he was everything and more that he'd won. Um, both with and without the ball. So, again, I think in microcosm, that's where we are with Emi Buendia at the minute. It seems from game to game, his performance level can veer fairly alarmingly. And, and until he finds that consistency to his play with and without the ball, these debates are going to continue. I'm just trying to think if I can find them on the Who Scored mobile app, but um, they haven't got dispossessed stats on there. They have to go to the full website. But, yeah, we're, you know, it's kind of similar story to what we've been saying in recent weeks. We all know he's got the ability. Yeah. He's just got to grow up a bit, isn't he, at times. Um, but, you know, hopefully they put that to bed because he certainly looked like he was enjoying the celebrations at the end. Great big smile, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Right, Jez Arlo. Personally, Phil will do well to keep hold of Grant Hanley in the summer. Been absolutely colossal since his recovery from injury. For me, though, he wasn't good enough before and has improved the back four monumentally. Now, yeah, we talked about Grant quite a bit in the last Pink and Pod, in the last few, I suppose. Um, and it is a real sort of redemption story, isn't it? Because he was yeah. becoming the scapegoat. But yeah. when I went down and spoke to him at Colony, when was that? Before Christmas, I think it was. It was when he was... Yeah, oh yeah, because it was when he, he came back to the team in December, didn't he? So it was probably late November I spoke to him and yeah. he, he sort of laid out his fitness issues, didn't he? Yeah. He'd had hernia and groin surgery and basically the Hanley we'd seen at the start of the season wasn't him at 100%. Yeah. But now we're really seeing that, aren't we? Well, that's it in a nutshell, really. I mean, ultimately what has changed... He's got his injuries behind him, his body's in a healthy state, and with that has allowed him to play to his maximum potential. And his maximum potential on this body of games, um, since he came back into the team, more than good enough to be considered Norwich, one of Norwich's, if not their best centre-back for me. Um, then you add on his leadership skills, you know, you're talking there about how he sorted out Buendia and Godfrey. Um, you know, I wouldn't mess if I got a look off Grant Hanley. So... <laughs> All, all in all, he's yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> Speaking from experience, there. But um, excellent. Yeah, it's excellent how he's come back. It's a testament to the guy's character because you go back twelve months now, and and he, I think he might have alluded to this himself subsequently in interviews. He probably felt a bit of a spare part. You know, you've got Godfrey Zimmerman. That's the championship title winning. Uh, you know, double act, and then he comes along Aston Villa and kind of you know edges himself to the front of the queue at Villa Park and lifts the trophy. Um, which is good on one level because he still tells me he felt really part of the you know the team and the and the togetherness was there and but by the same token he's a professional footballer he wants to play games and he wasn't playing games and it's understandable why quite a few Norwich fans maybe felt you know it was beyond him and and if he'd have gone because he was linked again with his old club Blackburn in the summer if he had gone how many Norwich fans would have really felt oh that's a massive blow losing mm. Grant now different matter entirely as as the question poses you know if if clubs came in from this summer, I think there would be a genuine disappointment from the majority of the Norwich fan base. And that's a testament to Grant. He's, what, 28 now-ish? So, if... Well, I guess whichever... Well, no. no. If they stay up, I can't see him going. No. If they were to go down and Burnley, say, were to offer 10 million, then I think he would he would want that at yeah, his Burnley, age. Not Burnley. Not Burnley no. connections. Oh, well, yeah, I suppose. But just, just in terms of Etal, yeah, yeah, style yeah. of play, I could see yeah, him really yeah. fitting in at, at a Burnley because uh, although his passing has really held up recently, hasn't it? But um, yeah, the, the look, you know, I was trying to think when I had it, it was, it was after the 3-1 against Newcastle, wasn't it? When he 
fell over eight, late on and cut, and they lost the clean sheet yeah. right at the death, didn't they? Yeah. And that was on the back of the Liverpool own goal. Yeah. And obviously, I was speaking to him after games, went through the positive stuff, but, you know, doing the job we did, I said, you know, Grant, I, I've got to, got to ask you about Liverpool and, and, and about the end. And he said something along the lines of, are you trying to wind me up? <laughs> I get, yeah, gave me, gave me the look. Um, but he's, now that I, I sort of I've got to know him a little bit more from interviewing him subsequently, he's got quite a dry wit, and I think he was almost joking at, at the time because he said a few sort of things like that at Burnley, for instance, after he scored his goal. Yeah. He, um, he, uh, you know, I said to him, "That's your first goal since what would it have been August 2018, wasn't it?" And he was like, uh, "You know, apart from at Anfield, <laughs> yeah, yeah, something along those lines." He was, you know taking the mick out of himself. Yeah, so yeah. he's he's got quite a dry wheel. I I'm, I like that about him. And yeah, he's been a leader recently, yeah. hasn't he? So um, you know, let's hope Norris can pull off the great escape and that he continues in this form because I think he will stay in the team as things as things stand. Although it's probably a different debate for another day, I do think Norwich will need to be looking at a three at the back going forward. Yeah. Um and I think he'd be perfect for that middle role in that as well. So yeah. but that's probably one for the summer, isn't it? Uh, Joe McKenzie, hi boys, would be happy with a point tomorrow, but of course three would be better. I'm, I'll take a point, wouldn't you? Uh, I know they need a win, but yeah. no, I think it's got to be free, free now. I think the situation they're in, having beaten Leicester, you think right, let's all go home and let's look forward to the teams around them getting beat Saturday, and then bang, 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 Watford, West Ham, even Bournemouth only denied a win. I think um, I can't remember who they were playing, but they came back late. Chelsea, sorry, yeah, two-two yeah. draw. So after that, it almost feels like they didn't make any ground at all. I think maybe they're a point clearer than they, closer to the, the 17th team than they were this time last weekend. But with 10 games left, that's no. So, of course, yeah, going there, given where Sheffield United and what they're doing in the table, great result mm. as a result. But in the context of what they're trying to strive, which is stay in the Premier League, no, it's got to be a win. Got to be a win. Well, a win would be huge, but at least a draw would um, keep some momentum going, wouldn't it? Um, you know, if they could draw and then beat Southampton, yeah. <laughs> then they'd be in a pretty decent position, wouldn't they? So, uh, heading into that quarterfinal in the FA Cup, of course. Uh, Paul Batchelor, I suggest in January we put in a bid for Victor Wanyama. Now having, now knowing he went to the USA for free, do you think the board missed out on an opportunity to get someone in to replace Alex Tetty and give us some stability in the defensive midfield position? Uh, I think, Paul, he's just considered to be a bit of a, an injury crock, isn't he? Um was very popular at Tottenham in his pond, wasn't he? Not that long ago under Pochettino, but last two, three years, he really hasn't played a lot of football. So, you know, yeah, if he ever re- rediscovers full fitness over, I think it's, is it Dallas he signed for? Yeah. Something like that. Um, but he he was, I, I had a look on the reactions on Twitter when that went through, because it did catch me out. I think that was earlier this week that a transfer had gone through. And um, a lot of very positive messages from Tottenham fans essentially saying, it, you know, if he could have kept fit, he would have been a real great player yeah. for us. But um, yeah, unfortunate for him. Want to keep an eye on, I guess. Um, Neil Austin, any whispers on FA Cup quarterfinal kickoff time? No, not yet. We're, um, we're thinking probably Sunday, aren't we? But um, with the Monday being the start of the international break, I, I'm not sure where things stand on that, whether they could have the game on the Monday, but it's not going to be Saturday, is it? No, I think we can be. Night, yeah. Um, and that is the second leg of their Europa League last 16 against Lask from Austria, right. who I'd never heard of until no. about a week ago. Europa League, <laughs> yeah. Um, who knows? Who knows, man? No, when Norwich no, won the no, FA Cup. <laughs> um, Adam Brandon. There were retaken penalties in the shootouts during the Under-20 World Cup last year. 
look up the New Zealand v Colombia shootout. Will do. Uh, still feel a bit sorry for the Kiwi keeper in under seventeen tournament that I think Ida was involved in. The Irish keeper was sent off for stepping off his line twice to save penalties in a shootout. Hmm, okay, yeah. so that's worth having a look at the under twenty World Cup. So yeah, it, uh, okay, right, yeah, I'm going to have to have a look at that on YouTube. Uh, Duncan Carr, hi Dave. Uh, why would you? Who would you say is the best centre back currently? Yeah, I think we've just uh, we talked about that, haven't we? Uh, certainly, yeah. Hanley, Hanley's first choice for me at the moment. Um, but it'd be good to have Zimmerman back on the bench, just given um, his uh, given the injury situation. It would, it would be nice to have a bit of cover. But we were just talking about actually while I was writing my column, weren't we? That I was looking at Sheffield United's centre backs. They play three at the back: um, O'Connell, Basham, and Egan. They have all played started every Premier League game apart from Egan missed one match yeah. that is the consistency that they have had to build on their promotion whereas Norwich yeah. literally the, pretty much the opposite they lost Hanley Zimmerman yeah. and Closer in August all to injury long term you know that's that's pretty much the vast difference and as far as Sheffield United go I think they did as well as they've done they really do deserve a lot of respect they're not they're not a Tony Pulis long oh, ball no, team, no, are no, they? No, 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 no. What we are is uh, high intensity, um, quite happy to put a foot in and, and be physical, which is probably where those um, unfair, in my opinion, comparisons come from. But you ever watch them? They play so wide, so much width, so brave and pushing those wing backs on um, and just make the pitch so big. Um, and okay, yeah, if it's getting balls into the box from wide areas as opposed to, you know, the more chess-like pieces that Norwich like to do it for me it's still a decent brand of football so yeah no, far removed from a Pulis get it in the mixer mm. um, maybe it's because McGoldrick has been used up there and, and maybe he gives that conveys that impression but no I think far, there's far more refinement to what they do and they've got some excellent midfielders I like the boy Norwood Fleck as well good player mm. um, and they, yeah exactly so good pedigree good players and excellent manager you know whether you like him as a person mm. Uh, given his some of his outspoken comments regarding Norwich since you know Daniel came in, but uh, one thing he does know is how to put a winning team on the pitch. And uh, yes, you're right; they have been fortunate compared to Norwich with injuries. Um, but he is a very good football manager, no two ways about it. Absolutely, they um, they've they've had a really good season so. Fair play to them. Um, Edward Hind Uzan says, "I hope that's pronounced all right." Uh, <laughs> looking smart, boys. Yeah, we've got dressed mate. the same memo today, mate. Yours is blue and mine is a sort of patterned colour, yeah, but yeah. it does look quite similar on the uh, on the screen, doesn't it? But uh, thank you. <laughs> it's not often we get um, we get that. Liam WT agree with Hanley and happy to be other. Oh, it goes into a second yeah. one. Happy to be proven wrong. Was saying last summer he would have been sold as our fourth choice and upgraded. Yeah. I mean Wilder. Given that Sheffield United got plenty of money, he'd probably have Hanley if Norwich went down, wouldn't he? Quite happily. Well, I mean, yeah, possibly. I mean, I, I don't know who they've got. If those three that we talked about, who they've got in and around that um, sort of cover-wise, but you could see you could see him playing at Sheffield United in a three, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Eventually, like I said earlier, yeah, a bit in the middle. He's sort of ideal for it because. You know, put a ball in the air, he's going to win it, isn't he? Yeah, uh, and Ed follows up with, so who is on pens now after that? Would it still be Pookie? Um, that is an interesting one, but given he scored his last two goals from the penalty spot in the Prem? Exactly. That's the question, yeah. yeah. I don't think it'd be very harsh if that man's on the pitch. 
and they get a penalty and he's converted the last two. So, yeah, got to be the main man. Paul, back to the following up on his comment about Wanyama. Weren't we saying the same about Alex Tetty, though, last season after his string of knee injuries? I think you've got to go a little bit further back for his knee injuries, actually. Um, I mean, he retired from Norway duty at 30. Um, and Norris really have felt the benefit of that, haven't they? Almost in an Alan Shearer way with, with England and, and Newcastle. It's hard, it's hard to sort of back it up definitively, but I mean, what's he played, eight or nine seasons? Has he? Have we seen a better yeah. Tete with the ball, you know, in terms of his output, his passing, um, his comfort on the ball? I think, you know, he's many things, but decent in possession wasn't normally one of the labels up until maybe Parker's arrival that you would have associated with him. But now he's, uh, he's, he's very confident on the ball, just needs to work on the shooting a bit. Yeah, in fact, he really did inject a lot of energy into extra oh, time, good. didn't he, yeah, at, at Tottenham? Yeah. Uh, did a, Shane Watts-Jones, the consistency Sheffield United have had in defence is down to training. Is it down to training being too intense? Yeah, compared to Sheffield United, or just unfortunate to have the injuries we've had? I mean... Sheffield United train, but... I mean, closer was an impact injury, wasn't it? Yeah, that's what Daniel would say. Yeah, Zimmerman. Yeah, well, I mean, he had Halas stand on his foot, didn't he? So Absolutely. That's um, not a training. Didn't even get booked. No. Somehow. And closer um, was Crawley. Yeah, that's challenging a game. Um, and Hanley tried to play through his problems because him and yeah. uh, was injured. Oh, and closer was missing preseason as well with knee problems, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And he's when he spoke to Connor. What two weeks ago he said that that knock-on effect of that knee injury from last season essentially was still there, wasn't it? And was activated by that challenge at Crawley. So Grant had didn't have much of a choice but to play through in pre-season and yeah. and looked very slow, didn't he? So it was a bit of a perfect storm, I suppose. Yeah, I'd, or I'd, No, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't look to attribute the injuries in centre back areas to what Norwich do on the training pitch. I'd, I mean, Daniel routinely had to bat away those type of questions when it was at its height. And, uh, and as you said, they, they look at every facet of the training, how many minutes they play, the load they put on these players. So, no, I wouldn't have thought, wouldn't have thought that was connected to, to uh, the, what they do in training because Daniel's far too astute. And when, you've got, when you haven't got the biggest squad anyway, because that's by design, they wanted to go into these campaigns under Weber and Farker with a squad who all of them felt they had a chance. Might not be the case now looking at some of the players, but uh, no. So really when you, you've got a very small squad, I don't think you're going to flog them in training necessarily. No, and we weren't talking about that last season when the intense training was being credited for Norwich keeping going to the last yeah. minute and scoring yeah. the late goals. So, you know, uh, I, I think it was just a real bit of bad luck. Um, yeah. I, I would put it down to really. Uh, Neil Teller says, where's the jumper pad? Too warm. Too warm. We've moved on. <laughs> We've moved on. In, the desk, in the office, haven't we? And, um, it's not too bad. I think the heating's just about working. But um, And finally, because uh, we're closing on 40 minutes, so we should probably wrap up. Jez Arlo, uh, replying to, to Shane, says, uh, it's Man United, mate. I'll be amazed if it's not being broadcast. And, uh, yeah, I think last season all four quarters were broadcast yeah. live, weren't they? So, yeah. Uh, Stagger the games over Saturday yeah. and Sunday and there will still be a few Prem games in amongst it as well, I, I would imagine. Right. Um, but, yeah, I think that's everything teed up nicely for Bramall Lane. Um, we'll, of course, be back with you on the app, on here, on Facebook, Twitter, everywhere. You know where we are. Um, and uh, we'll have the live updates again for you at pickin.com if you're not lucky enough to be at the game. Um, fingers crossed that they can keep some kind of momentum uh, obviously, a draw would be a fantastic result at this stage of the season. And um, 
I don't think there's any doubt that they're going to be bang up for it. So uh, I'm quite looking forward to it. So oh, yeah. quite looking forward to it. Just a little bit trepidatious knowing what Sheffield United are like in that they they can grind games out and that if they get if they get the lead, I'd be nervous immediately about whether Norwich can come back. But I mean, they did come back at Tottenham. They did. The only thing you know with a, with a Wilder team is they won't give anything away easily. Mm. If Norwich get anything there tomorrow, they, they will have had to earn it. And uh, that's why you think maybe it, it, it looks like it might have a draw written over it. But just on the back of Leicester, on the back of Tottenham, what a win would do. I mean, it just, it will, it really would just inject belief that the little miracle is possible. Let's believe it. We will catch up with you guys tomorrow. Thank you very much for watching or listening. And we will see you at Bramall Lane.